together in just a few moments. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Thank you for being the encouragement that you are and for so enthusiastically participating with each other in these anthems of redemption and hope in our observance and celebration of the Lord's Supper, the good prayer, the heartfelt prayer that was offered. It's my very great privilege just to continue to encourage you to continue worshiping as we open our Bibles together. This past Sunday evening, we read just a, a remarkable phrase. We have been walking through the first letter of Peter. And last Sunday evening, we were in 1 Peter chapter 2, and he, he reminded us in such simple language, in verse 3, the Lord is good. And Christians have tasted that the Lord is good. And then he says in verse 4, as you come to him. And as we read in just a few moments from 1 Peter chapter 3, that is the, the mindset, the posture of heart that I would encourage you to have this morning. This is a man writing this who knew what it was to come to Jesus. He heard with his own ears Jesus say, follow me. He saw with his own eyes as Jesus did incredible things. And wherever Jesus went, Peter would follow him and and yet he's writing now years later to people who didn't see Jesus with their physical eyes. They, they didn't hear him with their ears. They didn't touch him with their hands. And yet through the, the power of the foreknowledge of God in the sanctification of the Spirit, in the fulfillment of this incredible plan this apostle, this ambassador sent by God is able to say to anyone who will yield their obedience to Jesus and give their heart completely to him, you can come to him, you are coming to him just as surely as I did. And, and I appreciate it in the words of that that powerful prayer, how we were reminded, even though this is a 2,000-year-old letter, as we heard from the very beginning of chapter 1, we also are acting according to the foreknowledge of God in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. This is the good news that was preached to us. And we're not spectators this morning. We are participators in that good news. We heard last Sunday evening from chapter 2. You are God's people. And we heard the call. As God's people, keep your conduct honorable. In fact, he said, honor everyone. To this you have been called. We heard in chapter 2 and verse 11, you are sojourners and 
pilgrims. You've been ransomed by the blood of Christ that we've reflected on today. By God's grace, we are being shaped. Each one of us as Christians, 2,000 years later, are still living stones, graciously being shaped into this temple of the living God. And we heard the call in chapter 2, live unashamedly unique countercultural lives so that the world cannot help but see and say there is something different about that man or that woman. And the way that we have tried to distill it all year long in just three words, three short words, if we will trust God and follow His lead and unashamedly lead those unique countercultural lives, we will say in our own generation, with our mouth and by our lives, I am His. And so, latter part of chapter 2, I'm... I'm absolutely determined in the strength that God supplies to lead a personally pure life. I'm going to answer God's call to respect authority. God is a God of authority. He has instituted authority in this world as a marker of ultimately the fact that we need to respect and honor him and so governing authorities around us we heard the call last sunday evening latter part of chapter two to honor those authorities we heard servants be called to lead that unique counter-cultural life so that others will see the way you are living and you will have an opportunity to share with them i am his. This morning we jump right back into this context. You can see it in verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 3 with the word likewise. We're just continuing that thought. All of you live honorable lives, distinctive, countercultural lives to the glory of God. And so would you read with me beginning in 1 Peter 3 verse 1 where he says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious, very precious in God's sight. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham. 
calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sin the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirits, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this now, saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Chapter 3, he, he continues this thought of the opportunity that we as believers have in front of us. He brings that home in a very personal sense. Our own marriages 
or an opportunity to, as we heard last Sunday evening, be mindful of God. The world isn't always going to be mindful of God. The world isn't always going to return good for good. And if we're honest with ourselves, in our closest human relationships, we're not always going to treat each other the, the way that we know our Creator would say is good. But we heard Him last Sunday evening in chapter 2. You can see it in verses 19 and 20. This is a gracious thing. When I, when you, when any disciple of Jesus is mindful of God. I, I can't control the way the people around me act and interact and, and react. I, I can't control the way people in my own home act and, and react and interact. But I can control where my mind is set. In whom my, my heart is rooted and grounded. And so when mindful of God it is a gracious thing just to do the next right thing in accordance with God's holy will. Marriage is an opportunity to practice honor. He's continuing that same thought by using the word likewise that we highlighted from 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. And he begins in the first six verses by talking to wives. Using a word that is not very popular in 21st century cultural circles. Whomever or whatever you're talking about. It's a word that is often misunderstood. We need to make sure that we understand how God uses the word submission. It's the idea of voluntarily yielding to a recognized authority. But if you were paying attention, you heard over and over and over again who the ultimate authority is. It is the Lord God Almighty who reigns in heaven. That is why throughout this context we are reminded, above all, be mindful of God. To be submissive does not mean that I am physically, morally, spiritually inferior, that the, the, the one to whom I am submitting is physically or morally or, or spiritually superior. It doesn't mean that a wife must always agree with her husband. In fact, right here in this context, she differs with him on the most important of issue, issue of all, the gospel. You heard that in this scenario. A wife is a disciple of Jesus. Her husband is not. What is the greatest thing that could happen for the sake of that marriage? What is the greatest thing that could happen in the life of that individual husband? That he would come to be an heir of God. That he would have an inheritance guarded in heaven that is 
imperishable, unfading, undefiled, kept in heaven by Him because He has responded to the good news of Jesus Christ. And who knows how this woman can be instrumentally used by God in bringing this man to Christ. The greatest goal of her heart as a disciple of Jesus Christ is to communicate in pure, respectful ways. Why don't you, my husband, come to Him even as I have come to the Lord Jesus? She's going to live in a way that makes it clear. My heart belongs to God. My heart isn't wrapped up in the stuff that I can put on my body, I'm, I'm looking past it. I realize that those things are perishable. They're, that they're not going to last. And in fact, if I'm honest with you, my husband, I love God more than I love you. And so I'm going to trust God as He calls me to lead a unique and countercultural life for which the only explanation is, I am His. Likewise, verse 7, he speaks to husbands. He speaks to husbands at a point in time where all over the Roman Empire, women would be treated as property. And he is calling husbands to lead a unique countercultural life. Don't use her. Don't abuse her. In that ancient context, how much more vulnerable is she? Easily taken for granted. But no, you relate to her. You treasure her. You protect her. You honor her. She is no less than a believing man, an heir of the grace of of life. In the context, maybe the simplest way of summarizing those seven verses is the way the Apostle Paul put it in Romans 12 and verse 10. We've heard, if you've been paying attention in 1 Peter, the word honor over and over and over again. Here at home, outdo one another in showing honor. And so as Paul, it's not just Peter, it's not just Paul, it is the, the consistent message of the New Testament to lead a unique countercultural life for which the only explanation is I am His. And so as Paul wrote to Christians in Ephesus, wives, submit to your own husbands as your husband is not the Lord, but you are the Lord's. And so follow the Lord's lead. And who knows who might be brought to the Lord if you trust the Lord enough to follow His lead. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, His body, and is Himself its Savior. To husbands, He says in verse 
25. Husbands, love your wives. But he doesn't stop there. It all flows through this glorious funnel. You are His. Love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. You serve uniquely, counterculturally. Husband, in whatever culture, whatever era you live, you be the chief servant in your home. Verse 33 of Ephesians 5, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And if disciples of Jesus individually within our individual homes within the context of a local church if we will answer the call of Hebrews 13 and verse 4 let marriage be held in honor let marriage be held in honor among all may we by our marriages project into this world a sense of honor for the Lord's institution. If anybody in the community ought to be able to look at any human being and say, you know what, I, I'm not sure I agree with all of that. I, I'm not sure I believe all of that. I'm not sure I'm ready to practice all of that. But I've never seen a man love his wife as self-sacrificially as he loves her. I've, I've never seen a woman who exemplifies this spirit within her. And she tells me she's doing it because it's precious in God's sight. And that, that, that's what matters most of all. Who knows if we as these current generations projected into the world when it's easy and when it's tough. We hold marriage in honor. Marriage as defined by the Creator. Who knows who might be brought to the Lord as a result. We'll hear that language again in just a moment. Keep reading with me there in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8 where he shifts gears. Having talked about individual lives of purity, having talked about our, our general respect for civil authorities, having talked to servants and masters, now husbands and wives, finally. This began back in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 10. Your sojourners. Your pilgrims. Above all, you belong to God. And so now he's rounding off that big thought. And here's how he puts the message to finally all of us. Chapter 3 and verse 8. Have unity of mind. What a challenge in the fall of 2022. What a needed message at the end of 2022. You know the only way that's going to be possible? 
I mean, how many bits and bytes by the trillion are being published online? How much ink is being spilled? Trying somehow, some way to get we, even just within the context of this country, as, as modern Americans to have unity of mind. You know the only way this is possible? We've got to unite around a common standard and we've got to be willing to treat each other with honor. If there is no common standard and I can't bring it from within my own God-given heart to treat you and the people around me honorably, there will never be unity of mind. But if we answer that call, you didn't always live like this, you didn't always talk like this, you didn't always treat each other like this. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. God is the standard. I am His. We are His. Let's unite around that and treat each other with honor. Let's treat sympathy not as a to-do list item, but what flows from a heart that honors that person who is grieving. Let's allow the honor that we have for God and the honor that we have for each other to keep our hearts tender. Let's not forget what it is like to be a prodigal. Wondering if there's any place for me anymore because of all the things that I've done. Let's allow our God, who as we heard from Psalm 90 this morning, is from everlasting to everlasting. Let's allow that awesome reminder to keep our minds humble at the start of this week. What's that going to look like in, in practical terms? Well, we don't have to guess. Peter says in chapter 3 and verse 9, there's going to be time that evil knocks on your front door. Don't reflect that back into the world. That there's going to be a time when you are the object of reviling. People are saying mean hurtful, perhaps untrue things about you. But you're His. And as long as your conscience is pure, it is a gracious thing when mindful of God that I am the subject of reviling and I don't reflect that back into the world. No, in order that you might obtain a blessing, he reaches back to Psalm 34, verses 12 through 16. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit, turn away from evil. Good may not be coming to you, but you can make the choice to do good. You be a seeker of peace. You pursue peace. You rest yourself in, I am His. And the eyes of the Lord 
are on me. You bless others. Chapter 3, verse 13. You be zealous. What are you zealous for at the start of this new week? Zealous for college football? Zealous for family time? Zealous for holidays? Zealous to have time off of work? What, what, what are you really zealous for? What are you excited about for this week? Lots of good things to be excited about. Here's what God says matters most of all. Let's gather together by God's wisdom on the first day of the week and stir one another up to be zealous for what is good. And even this week, if you don't receive good in return, Paul put it this way in Romans 12, 17, repay no one evil for evil. No one. It's a gracious thing. When mindful of God, His children make the choice to repay no one evil for evil. They're going to give thought. What's our key word throughout this context? Honor. They're giving thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all and who knows that has been the question over all of this context where we as human beings are being called to do hard things the goal is bigger than my ego and the goal is bigger than my reputation the goal is bigger than my feelings and my wants and my desires the goal is that another one would be brought to God. That's why Paul concluded his section of this idea in Romans 12 verse 21 by saying, don't be overcome by evil. You serve as a reflector of evil into the world. You're overcome by evil. But you, when mindful of God, are willing not just to receive grace, but to extend grace. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, that is how evil is overcome. Overshadowed by what is good. And as he has so often at the end of our tours, chapter by chapter, he points us to Jesus. He's not calling me to do anything he hasn't already done. He, in fact, acted for me in order that I might say, he's mine. God is mine. How does he put it in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18? The righteous suffered for the unrighteous. In order that he might bring us to God. That's the goal. And so the righteous one hung on a tree. Rejected. Despised. But in the sight of his heavenly father, chosen. Precious. Precious. 
Because as Roger reminded us, we needed an offering for our guilty souls. And Jesus has done that. Why? Not simply to have a religious organization, not simply to fill religious buildings through the ages. The heart of the gospel is my sin separated from me, separated me from God. It was my sin that held him there on the cross. But he was willing to do that in order to bring me to God. And the reason we have celebrated with living hope this morning is death was not the end. His spirit could not be extinguished. The same spirit that had acted throughout the ages in seeking to bring people to God. There wasn't anything that any human being could do to silence or squelch or extinguish his spirit. And on the third day, on the first day of the week, the Lord's day, he came out of the grave and now this good news for 2,000 years has been heralded all over the world Jesus is risen and because he is risen look in your Bibles with me at first Peter chapter 3 and verse 21 I can make an appeal to God for a good conscience through his resurrection from the dead. Or earlier in chapter 3, we heard about a, a good conscience. Christians need to be reasoned with. This is how you live. This is how you act from a good conscience. But what if this morning I'm here and I'm hearing all of this news and I know that my conscience isn't good? For 2,000 years, this news has been preserved. Anyone can make an appeal to God for a good conscience. Could I show you how? Turn, turn two pages over, perhaps. First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. This is how the, the letter began. First Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord. Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for, for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a, a pure heart. My heart hasn't always been pure. My soul hasn't always been pure. But it can be purified. How? Chapter 3, verse 21. Baptism now saves you. Not, not just the act of hopping in some water, but fully believing this good news. I, I've, I've gotten just the tiniest taste that the Lord is good, and so I'm going to turn away from all that dishonors Him. I want more and more of that. I want to come to the risen Jesus, just like these people did back then. What, what do I need to do? This is the man who preached in Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ. 
Because this Jesus reigns in heaven this morning. No matter what happened this past week, no matter what happens this next week, he reigns at the right hand of God. And for 2,000 years, people have come face to face with this news. The news has been explained. And the invitation has been extended. You, like anyone, can walk away from encounters like this saying, I am His and He is mine. And so we're going to stand and, and sing an invitation song this morning. Not to heap on guilt, but to help you think, is my conscience clean? Is my heart pure? Maybe as a disciple of Jesus, you could use some prayers in the name of Jesus who reigns this morning at the right hand of God. Could, could you be helped as we, in the name of Jesus, lift you before God's throne? Maybe you hear, this is what God all along is telling me to do, to have a clean conscience, a pure heart, a purified soul, and I, I haven't done that. We mean it when we say this invitation is the Lord's invitation to you. And if we can play a part in helping you answer it, would you let us know how by coming to the front while we stand and sing together?